Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to The Reactive Entrepreneur, the show where we combine the tech world with the business world and we talk about all our struggles, how we overcame it and how we use those skills to transform our everyday life. Today, we've got an exciting guest. I'm super excited. My very good, good friend. And we met. It's a crazy story, but I'm not going to hold it back anymore. Leon, introduce yourself. What's up? What's happening, bro? Long time no see. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah. The last time we did a podcast was like when I was still at Facebook. I was yeah. still working for Facebook, man. It was like a year and a half ago. Exactly, man. It's been oh ages. God. And today we've got Jay as well. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a nice vibe. My guy, Jay, man. Honestly, the most like prospective millionaire. I, I, I just see, <laughs> I see Bill Gates in this guy every time I see him. <laughs> Leon, Leon is just so kind, man. I love him. <laughs> he's, he's full so, of energy. He's, he's full of energy and so direct and he's so kind, man. Exactly. I'm stealing your energy and using it myself. Like, I don't think you should actually be too happy about that. <laughs> mm. I wanted to get a video episode with you because your energy is honestly like it's unique. I think you're so bubbly and like full of energy. And even that's why when we first met, it was just a straight yeah. fire. I mean, <laughs> but like that's why this is going to be a perfect session. So Leon, tell us about yourself. What is your uh, background? Yeah. Cool. So um, basically, start from the very beginning. Um, I am in Dubai right now. I work here as the head of drug discovery for a cancer research startup based okay. out of Cambridge, UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I I came to be in Dubai because when I met Sonny, when we came on holiday to Dubai, when we both have our respective sort of burnouts in the UK and we're yeah. like, yo, well, let's go to the Middle East and sort our problems out there. Yeah, because it's <laughs> just much nicer. Um, I came out here. I loved it. My auntie um, got breast cancer when she was uh, like, it was around 2022, the start of 2022. Uh, so I yeah. thought, yeah, I'll just move out here. I'll, yeah. st- I'll get look for a new job. And then I managed to find this really cool role here that I could do from the UK. So yeah. I'm working in this cancer research startup. My background, I've got a PhD in cancer immunology from the University of Cambridge. I graduated in 2017. Um, after that, I did my postdoc. It was a joint fellowship between MIT and um, Harvard Medical School in computational neuroscience. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, man. My background is like nerdy as hell, but like when you, go, <laughs> when you dig deeper, bro, like it's just, uh, it's, it gets mad. But yeah, so like my background was like, so I did my, my postdoc in computational neuroscience. Nice. Um, after that, I went to McKinsey and Company. So I was there as a, as a consultant in the risk department and I was working there for like a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, I kind of like said, okay, I'm done with this. Like it's just, like, you can't, like, the, the whole nice thing about consulting is being able to travel like business class and yeah. like go and mm. stay in nice hotels. Like when you're forced to do it from your bedroom, like, you know, do like 12 or 13 hour shifts, like making slides. Yeah. Like, just, the hype dies, man. Like, your postman doesn't care that you're a consultant, right? When he comes and visits you, like, yeah. you know, Tesco delivery driver, you have a McKinsey shop. <laughs> <laughs> so d- just before we skip over the first bit, right? You went to, just as this goes through this again, Cambridge, which is like the most prestigious <laughs> uni in UK. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cambridge and Oxford are up there. Yeah. And then not just Cambridge, which is already at the, like, enough to say, damn. <laughs> you then went to MIT. Yeah. And then you said you did a bit of time at Harvard as well. Both of them simultaneously. So That's like, crazy. <laughs> wow. And how does somebody go from, how do you do that? Like, how do you go to somewhere like, because it's hard enough to get into MIT. Yeah. So how are you getting into Harvard and MIT? <laughs> yeah. So when I was applying, so I finished my, my PhD, right? So I finished my PhD in two years and nine months. I was like, I got into it. I got all my results that I needed. I was kind of like done by it by then. Yeah. And I really like cancer research, but at the same time, I'm sort of like a, a nomad when it comes to research. Like yeah. I really like jumping between different areas. I really like kind of like looking at everything in academia. Like my background was physics before I got into cancer research. Yeah. And so like I went into like looking at Harvard and looking at the different sort of stuff that really related to me and computational like research and what I can potentially do. Yeah. And then I found this really cool professor who was doing like basically it's called like anesthesiology. Right. But in reality, it kind of like deals with anything to do with consciousness. Okay. Right. And so like consciousness research, like trying to understand the basis of what makes us conscious and what makes us like, you know, stay awake as people. And so um, I ended up applying to this guy's lab. I was begging him. I was like, yo, please. So the way that I apply for things, right? And this is what I want to tell you guys at home. You have to be persistent and stubborn. Like you have to be so stubborn. Like I would yeah. email him every day. 
Like, every day. I knew his like day schedule. Like, I used to call up his like assistant and be like, hey, um, is Emery back? And like she was like, Who who are you? How do you know his first name? Yeah. <laughs> How do you know when, what time he's available and free? I'll call up constantly. And eventually they set up a meeting with me, an interview. Um, he was a joint fellowship like holder, like he had a joint appointment between both Harvard Medical School and MIT because he was right. both a surgeon. He is actually really interesting. He's the first African American to be simultaneously like the professor of statistics at, and also a doctor, professor of medicine and also a professor of something else, like in three different areas. Damn. He's so cool. Man. Wow. It was honestly yeah. so cool working with him. Yeah. Nice. So eventually I got an interview with him. I okay. got there, applied, went there. I was like there for like nine months. And how, did, how did he reply in the end? <laughs> like, okay, cool, fine, 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 fine. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> stop <laughs> emailing me. <laughs> the American version of Khalas, like, stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he got, he got back to me, got me, like, I, I, start, I did my interview with him. And, like, I've always, I mean, I have, like, really bad ADHD. Yeah. And, like, I think it kind of permeates this interview. Like, I have really bad ADHD. But the cool thing about it is that, like, even though it's really difficult for me to finish a lot of tasks, I have so many ideas, like, constantly. Nice. Like I get things done thirty percent of the way. That's the reason why yeah. I need to have like people behind me, like just pushing. I need a J basically in my life. Yeah, <laughs> that, but like having ADHD, does it affect your daily life? How does it affect? Dude, it hell all? yeah, man! It's so hard to like, imagine. Like you like start writing a piece of code, right? You start writing yeah. the function and you don't write unit tests, or like you write a function and like you don't write the actual like if def main. Like you don't have the main part of the function. You just like write the helper function. That's my work done today. Like, you're just not bothered anymore. So like you really have to like set up processes in your life to kind of like get things done. Right. And what mm. would you do to sort of ground yourself or like control? those things like those impulses so with adhd like when i get like the impulse to just like kind of break away and not do something like i've been i've been meditating since i was 16 right, right. so like when a long time ago when i was 16 years old there was no tiktok there was nothing we had those the day of old youtube right yeah. and like some some like like there was like an indian dude that i watched like in india i don't know what his name was right teaching about meditation right and breathing yeah. into your navel or whatever and breathing out yeah yeah i had like 500 <laughs> views like nobody had seen this guy yeah. yet right nobody in california yeah. had started like their, their what's it called yeah the, What's those things that those like those retreats where they go and drink kombucha and whatever? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started meditating from then, and it really helped to like get my brain to stop responding as much to those intrusive thoughts that will kind of like get me to deviate away from like um working on a problem because nice. ADHD. Like people don't realize this, but if you have ADHD as a child, it really does impact your ability to like kind of succeed later on in life. Yeah. You're not necessarily more stupid, which is what my teachers thought. They're like, this guy's a dumbass, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Total opposite. <laughs> yeah. There was once an intelligence test that I had to do when I was at school. And like, I, I got like the bottom in the school, like in the class. And like, yeah. I needed to prove that because I got expelled, but we'll get into that later. Um, but I needed to prove that my intelligence wasn't bad to be able to get the scholarship. And I yeah. got really bad. And it wasn't because I was less intelligent, but yeah. it was because... I just wasn't able to focus for a long enough period of time to get my working memory to process some of those like kind of logical puzzles that prove they were a smart person. Yeah. yeah. This is the thing I find this flawed in the education system, right? I think because we had a very crazy similar story. You did pretty well at the gate when in like high school years, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I think me and you had a similar story where we, we started doing well and then it kind of just went... Psh! Like down, mm. like A-level was just... I was A-star, GCSE student and, and then A-level just crashed, mm. right? And then... I think, did you ever, you said, you got, that's when you got expelled, right? As in yeah. around high school. <laughs> yeah, so I went to high school. So basically the story was, right? My mom and my dad got divorced when I was like 10 years old, right? And mm -hmm. like, again, like, a divorce is a really hard thing for a guy to process. Definitely. Like, you, you need a masculine figure in your life to be able to put some of those guardrails up. But my mother did an incredible job. An incredible job of trying to like, kind of obviously go and work. She was doing a part-time degree, like kind of studying at the same time. Um, it was very hard for her to control like this ADHD kid yeah. that was like, I was obese as hell, man. I was 120 kilos, right? Yeah. At like five wow. foot. Like, it's That's crazy, yeah. Like Eric Cartman style obese, yeah. bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like my, my mom was not like Eric Cartman's mom, bro. My mom was strict as hell, man. My mom made sure that like, you know, I finished my homework, whatever, but 
inevitably I got into a lot of fights when I was in school. I used to be a menace, bro. Like my teacher would be on the computer, like trying to set up homework. I would just turn off his machine. Yeah. Right? That was the kind of thing that I used to do, like dropping stink bombs, like laying off fire alarms, everything like that. Yeah. Like, being a general menace to society. And then the school was like, we're just done with you, man. Get out of here. Like, so they kicked me out. Hmm. And like I, when I was expelled, like again, um, during that period at school, I just really didn't like it. Like imagine I was in like, you know, doing design and technology and then yeah. someone would just come up to me, like we'll start a fight or something, right? And then it come like, I remember one time we started a fight. We went onto the corridor to kind of like settle the fight. Mm. And then I got stabbed in the head with a compass, right? Yeah. Like, bleeding Ooh. out. My mom's taking me to hospital, right? Alhamdulillah, I didn't kind of like penetrate the bone or anything, right? Maybe yeah. if they then, I don't know. But like there was events like that that happened a lot in succession that kind of just led to them saying, class, we're done with you for like, right. So when I got expelled, the, my dad was like, yo, you got two options, bro. Like either you go to Lebanon and you get a job with your uncle, like fixing cars. Or yeah. <laughs> I'm done with you. Or I'll pay for like one term and then you try and get like scholarships later on for this like private college because no one will take you after you've been expelled. Like it's very difficult. Yeah. yeah. No one wants this like this crap guy, yeah. like this menace to come along like, and just like ruin their, their, their entire place. Yeah. So I got a scholarship afterwards. Like I realized that I love maths. Yeah. Like, I realized that maths is like, a, like it's just, it's a game. And like, for people that are ADHD sort of like um, based that like love dopamine, like, we're addicted to dopamine like quite crazily. Yeah. Um, having something like mathematics where you get dopamine rewards constantly, like yeah. for solving problems, like especially those part, like parts of problems where you have like intermediate parts, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, solve this integral, right? And there's like 10 different parts oh. to it and you just do it one by one and your brain's like rewarding you every second. Like yeah, again, yeah. no TikTok, no instant relief gratification, right? You have to get it right. Like yeah, you have to yeah, get it right yeah. now. There's a right answer, there's a wrong answer. If you get it wrong, you're gone. Like that's it. Yeah. So I started doing really well in mathematics. I started really liking physics and um, I was able to get scholarships all the way through until I went to university. Right, okay. So you bridged that gap through a, spo- uh, a, a scholarship that got you into a private college, yeah. which then got you a stepping stone up to... Exactly. Right, and then getting to Cambridge after that, yeah. what was the gap like there? Because like, obviously mm-hmm. people nowadays are like, I need to play the piano, I need to fly a plane, <laughs> yeah. all the things are just to get into a college. So how do you do that? So I got a... So basically, when I was in my last year of university, so I went to Warwick for my undergraduate, yeah. in mathematics and physics, and then for my last, my final year project, I ended up getting 96% or something, right? Like crazy. Okay. And the person that I was doing the project with, like he was a really nice guy. He was okay. a really, really nice guy. He sent me this problem that was basically computational. That's why I started to love programming on computers. Like I started yeah. writing my first like stuff in like C++ and C. Like there was no nice Python scripts and stuff now, yeah. right? Yeah. We had to do like memory, like kind of like uh, management and all this other stuff, like kind of garbage collection. I like, deal yeah, with bus yeah. errors and <laughs> yeah. segmentation faults. Now Python is like import pandas as PTO. Yeah, yeah. the low level coding back <laughs> yeah. in the day. Yeah. I did something, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So like um, I did some really cool stuff with him around like kind of, um, it was uh, what's called condensed matter physics. And okay. so like he recognized that this person was doing quite well. And then I also told him like, oh, I'm applying for like a means-based scholarship as well to kind of go and study somewhere. Right. Because again, I was like too broke. Like, there's no way that like, masters I would be able to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then he wrote like a personal recommendation to somebody at Cambridge in the Cavendish lab, which is like where the Cavendish lab was where the majority of things got discovered. Like right. it's like the electron got discovered there by JJ Thompson. Like there's like, you know, the Rutherford model of the atom. Yeah. A whole bunch of stuff went there. I went to that like the, the Cavendish lab is like Mecca of physicists, bro. Like it's right. just incredible. Yeah. I got there eventually. Like I went and did an interview with them. Again, it was my ideas that got me there. It wasn't necessarily the fact that I was like getting the highest grades in the class. Mm. Yeah. It was the fact that I had so many different ideas. Like I could integrate things together from like a whole variety of places. Right. Right. Like I think at one point I started imagining like, um, you know, the material that was used uh, like in Halo, that plasma pistol stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, it comes out of it. I was like, bro, like what if we could like use that somehow into a semiconductor and then use it to conduct it? I was talking to this guy about a Halo in yeah, Cambridge. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to describe to him what the plasma rifle could do. No, yeah. <laughs> and like, he was like, yeah, cool, man, come along. So I got in there. From there, I discovered machine learning from my, okay. from my, my one of my friends. And back then, bro, no one cared about machine learning. Yeah, it's right, early days. Yeah. yeah, early. Dude, no girls gonna be like, oh my god, you do machine learning? You're so cool. It was like them way to do like programmer friend. Like, are you just, yeah, <laughs> you're a loser. And I think, I think while we're at this point, yeah. 
biggest question we get mostly is maths important as a coder so you're like the ideal person here to answer this is it important 100 it's important okay but what for what field i think for for the fields of like machine learning i mean for programming and software development and algorithm design like you need to know logic quite well you need to be able to understand how things like flow in a logical procession mm -hmm. you need to be a rational person to be able to understand like for example why um you know um like quicksort for example is um can be is like kind of logarithmic in terms of like how it scales you to understand that stuff in here you do have to be like somewhat rational uh, and a logical person but then when it comes down to machine learning as well right like to be able to design those algorithms to understand exactly why they operate the way that they do mm. to be able to design the next generation of better algorithms yeah you need to have intrinsic at least appreciation or respect for the mathematics that underlies it as well yeah mm. otherwise what you're doing is like you're just copying and pasting like yeah. boilerplate code from from, from steps overflow and like a lot of times you can get away with that, right? Mm. Like you can get away with Stack Overflow, Control C, Control V. Well, yeah. now it's ChatGPT, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but imagine ChatGPT will take. That's the thing. Like ChatGPT has the potential to take over a lot of these jobs. It can already write a lot of programs for people, right? Yeah. You can ask it to write yeah. something. It can write it for you. But what it can't do so far, what we've seen, is generalize artificial intelligence, aka infer causality. Yeah. So as long as we're able to infer causality via logical processions and rational chains, right? We're able to kind of like determine what the causal events are better than the machine. We're still one step ahead of a machine. Okay. But as machines start to catch up with us, you'll notice that a lot of these jobs might start to become redundant. And so yeah. therefore, like, you do have to be one step ahead of the curve every single time. Right, yeah, because yeah, we found, we when we were at university, because me and Jay studied together at uni, um, we found it was only really the machine learning aspect where the mathematics came in, like yeah. big time. Yeah. Everything else, like you said, is logical breakdown, you know, rational thinking, that kind of thing. But I think it's a big question because a lot of people won't enter the field of software development just purely because they're not good at maths. Yeah. So what would you say to that? No, man, you guys got to get in. Honestly, yeah. like I think every single person should learn software engineering. Yeah. Like it's honestly like there is no barrier to entry. We're not trying to gatekeep it either. Like people, I think gatekeep themselves out. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. just so many tutorials out there. You have like amazing tech influencers like Sunny, for example, giving <laughs> incredible <laughs> courses. Right. Like I think that you definitely have to plug, plug, plug in. <laughs> Shameless plug. Where's <laughs> like, the checklist? <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah so like you do have to, i think learning it is a very important um kind of like part of any modern toolkit yeah um it's the same thing as being able to like i don't know like write. it's like it's like learning to write and learning to read as well right learning yeah. how to like kind of interface and communicate with something which could potentially end up walking among us like robots right it's very important and so yeah. you should learn it. it's, it's 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 at the end of the day software engineering is a tool to be able to solve other things it isn't a means to itself to be to kind of it's not the end of itself nice. you don't learn software engineering just to learn software engineering you always apply it yeah i yeah. agree with that I, that's why i even say if even if a kid isn't going into being a, becoming a coder or a web developer machine learning you know, analyst whatever it is they should learn coding. Yeah. yeah. The logical skills just ch it changes the way you think of everything. 100%. You start looking at everything like this can be broken down into ABC and, and you start yeah. like breaking everything down in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like it's an amazing feeling. It's also fun. Yeah, it's exactly. so much fun. Yeah. I think people get scared by the, the, the entrance and that's why I think it's amazing to have these calls because someone like you massively overqualified for a talk like this. No, even. bro. No, 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 but, gen no, but genuinely like the, guy, the guy's got like the, <laughs> the three top universities yeah. under his belt. And, and then I think it's awesome for you to say that uh, and break that barrier for a lot of people because now they'll be like, oh, actually, I can join. I can, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, what I like these days is that people are getting really into stuff like Roblox and Minecraft, right? All of these places where you can kind of like go and explore and create things, right? Nice. People love to create yeah. and build things. Yeah. Software engineering is the grown-up version of that, right? Yeah. So like, I'm not saying that Minecraft, you know, we can still play Minecraft. Like, I, have to, I play Minecraft sometimes as well. Yeah. I'm, not, mm. so, so I'm not gatekeeping. It's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's quite a good analogy. It's though. fun yeah. as hell, yeah, man. Yeah. It's so fun. But Minecraft is like essentially our own, like our child's mind way of expressing creativity. The same with like Lego, for example, right? Is yeah. to do that. Um, but software engineering is also like this really cool way of being limitlessly like enabled. 
Like you're able to build things like as as far as your imagination and creativity can like kind of push you. Yeah. And you can get paid a lot of money to do it. So like just you might as well. Like, imagine being able to like build Legos for money, right? Like software engineering is the same thing. Yeah, no, mm. exactly. <laughs> so you got the degrees. Yeah. You kind of you, then you went down the PhD route. Yeah. Um. Firstly, uh, what made you go down the PhD route? So I was looking at machine learning. One of my friends told me about machine learning. He was like, it's basically like maths, but at the same time you're building AI, but at the same time it's maths. And then okay. I was looking at what he was doing and he was like talking to me about stuff like Dirichlet processes and Gaussian processes and yeah. like all of these different words. And I had no idea what was going on, right? And I was still like very much on the, like finding it hard to control my ADHD sometimes. And yeah. so like reading these crazy papers full of math jargon and like stuff I just don't understand. Hmm. Like I had to develop ways of being able to kind of like mentally picture things and build it together. Right. So I went for a couple of these interviews. It was really funny. Like I wanted to kind of go and work with this guy called Zubin Kahramani, who was the professor of machine learning at Cambridge. Okay. Like he's a top, top, top name. Like he's one of the earliest guys like there. Like there's a guy called Michael Jordan, right? It's not the basketball player. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I honestly <laughs> thought it was him. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of Some guy in the lab. There's the other version. Yeah. On his webpage, it's like, guys, unfortunately, you haven't landed on like the webpage of Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Yeah. And yeah. Just the machine learning researcher. Yeah. <laughs> but he's honestly such a cool guy. Like he's like one of the founding fathers alongside like Jeffrey Hinton nice. and like all of these other dudes, like um, Yan LeCan, like when it comes to like machine learning, but especially probabilistic machine learning. Learning. And the way that I got kind of like I, I managed to set up an interview with him was like I knew that he was Iranian, yeah, like from his name. And so mm. I just called up his office again, just the same way as I did with the other ones. I was just calling him up. I was like, Chetori Zubin, Khubat was yeah. I didn't speak any Iranian except for those two words. Yeah, it was like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, I just want to speak to you about a potential interview with like PhD for your lab. <laughs> and they actually brought your work. I, I had an interview with him, man. Nice. Yeah, okay, so he's, he's thinking outside the box. Yeah, he's always going unconventional ways. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's how he got into MIT and exactly, everything. Yeah. Which is good. Learn. Like, yeah. really market. good. That's what guys, you have to learn how to market yourself. Like a lot of us think to ourselves, like software engineering is an introverted field. We have to stay inside your little bubble. Like, no, like a lot of people, like unfortunately you find a lot of people will stay in their niche or their bubble. Like in Google, for example, like 10 or 15 years thinking they found a family and Mm. out of nowhere, their laptop gets shot off from the network, right? And they've lost their job and their family is no longer responding to calls. Exactly. It's so sad. Like go out there, Honestly, learn how to market yourself, learn how to build yourself a profile, learn how to kind of to communicate with anyone. Yeah. As long yeah. as you have good intentions, the world will show you that same energy back. If you go into something, right, trying to like sell someone something or something, right, like get apprehensive. But if you go into yeah. something with good intentions, genuinely like you find that doors, like there's no there's no harm in knocking on a door. Yeah. If exactly. it opens, awesome, yeah. Yeah. Right? But Leon, how did you get in touch with them? Was it through LinkedIn or was no, it? No, dude, I called his office, man. Oh, straight up. Yeah, See, yeah. I found his number. That's gold. Because we that's, get this question yeah. all the time, isn't it? Like, people ask yeah. us, how do we uh, how do I get a job? I'm not encouraging you guys to go and call Zubin's <laughs> <laughs> number. But if anything, it's a good approach. Like it's it's different, right? How yeah. many people are gonna stack up CVs on a paper? Yeah. Yeah. How many of them are actually gonna call up the office and say, Oh, you know, let me try something a little bit different. Yeah. Exactly. And if I get shot down, so what? Dude, like I have this um like so whenever someone emails me about an internship or something, right? Or like an opportunity they want to learn something, I always mm. wait until like email twice or something, right? Yeah, kind of because they get a lot of these emails. So I want to see who's really, really, really sort of of like dedicated who wants to really badly enough and one time i just got an email saying hello <laughs> hashtag first name insert <laughs> 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 so, surname yeah. this guy's like php script like failed yeah. was, like, mass emailing everyone on linkedin right saying i really love your insert title yeah. <laughs> Come, can i get an internship at your hashtag company i was yeah. like I mean, like, I, I emailed them back, like, props. I was like, you might want to fix your PHP script, bro. <laughs> <embarrassing>. <laughs> that's uh, hilarious. But my grandma got breast cancer. So, like, that's the next stage of it. And then right. I kind of, I saw, like, the incredible work that was being done by some of these professors that kind of, like, came up with, you know, the surgical techniques that they were using to um, be as minimally invasive as possible. So, invasiveness this means, like, kind of, like, the amount of, like, damage or whatever that they use to kind of get in there, remove the tumor, come out. Yeah. Um, I saw, like, the amount of amazing, like, kind of, like, uh, the, 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 pro- the professional skills of the consultants that were kind of, like, giving her the drugs and prescribing her and looking after her treatment and kind of like designing everything. And like, I was thinking to myself like, yo bro, a hundred years ago, people used to just drop dead for no reason. Yeah. yeah. They had no idea what cancer was. 
Imagine, they just used to drop dead, oh, they just died because it was their time to die, right? We had no idea that there was this thing inside them growing called a cancer. Yeah. And then I saw the amount of suffering that this horrible disease causes, man. And I was like, you know what? Like, what more can I do in terms of life? Like, in terms of like trying to do something righteous, right? Mm. Like, I can do machine learning, which I love already because I've learned so much about it, but also I can direct it in the right way. Mm. And that's where this, that's where the, the kind of the foundation of my entire life went into. Nice. I can use machine learning to try and fight cancer. Nice. And I was like, yo, how the hell does this work, man? How do I use these lines of code? How do lines of code make drugs? Yeah. Right? How yeah. do lines of code like help someone in the hospital who's like suffering? Yeah. And it just emerged out of nowhere. This entire field took off out of like it literally like someone added gasoline to a fire. Like yeah. it just became crazy machine learning machine learning machine learning yeah. start going crazy but crazy because i remember when i met you it was one of the most noble things i quickly like caught on because my sister had breast cancer Absolutely. and then when obviously it, it went like luckily touch really went in the right direction is in remission remission yeah, well, yeah. yeah and um now that when you told me your story because we were on a plane when we were literally yeah. finding out all of this stuff yeah. when we first met and i was like wow i was like that is that's damn cool man i yeah. was like that's really cool because the next question that kind of naturally is gonna is gonna come up is like You've got amazing skills that are worth a lot of value. They're high value skills and you've got a lot of different ones, right? You're obviously going to get offered for this job, that job, this job in a commercial sense. What makes you basically quest, basically say like, you know, okay, I'm going to take a, maybe a cut from the pay side, but I want to stay on this route. And obviously there are personal reasons, but what was it for you specifically? Because a lot of people might be in the same situation. I feel like it's easier to be purpose driven in life than it is to try and find constant sources of motivation. A lot of us end up going and watching these motivational videos or look to people like Andrew Tate to be able to kind of give us the days of Andrew Tate. I have no opinions about it, but like I'm saying, like a lot of people mm. go to these kind of like <laughs> these people that are sort of like meant to be these inspirational characters, these motivational characters, right? To kind of like find means to, 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 to exist or a raison d'etre or like try to look for a reason to kind of like get out of bed every single day. And some people find money and some people want to find fame, but mm. these things are... Uh, like they're, they're, not, they're not consistent. Like you can get money, but you end up chasing more money. You can get yeah. fame, you end up chasing more fame. You can get that car and you want a better car and you just look around you constantly. So a motivation for the sake of motivation is in itself like a, it's, it's what's that thing called? I can't remember what it's, it's a, um, la, but it keeps going down. I can't remember what the word is. It's, um, I, I think like the whole thing, what he's talking sense. about is like a lifestyle creep sort of thing, situation. Mm. Basically it means that when you, um, earn some money, you're happy with the luxuries you get with that money. And then when you get more, yeah. those luxuries become necessities. Yeah. And then you get new luxuries. And then it keeps going up and up. And you just. I think you get a first hand glance yeah. at that in Dubai as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, in the, yeah. You have so many luxuries and those you just take it for granted and yeah. become your everyday thing. It's Big so time. true. It's, the, it's when you look, when your entire life with your motivation for life, you want some more water, brother? <laughs> <laughs> when the motivation that drives your life is linked to something materialistic and materialistic things are fungible items right like these things can be destroyed right they're not they're, they're not immutable yeah, they're yeah. Not permanent, right? yeah exactly they can be destroyed at any moment they can be taken away from you. anything can happen and then you, you base your entire personality and identity based on a couple of things if you've associated with your title your title being taken away from you if yeah you've associated with with like you know your relationships some one of these people can die like these things are all immutable but your sense of purpose your purpose in life, right? A lot of, that's the most difficult thing to destroy. Yeah. And yeah. so if your sense of purpose is tied to something which you believe to be something which benefits you, all of the virtues that you embody yourself or you model yourself by, then you'll always find recourse to, 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 to work hard, right? Yeah. You don't need to sit yeah. down and watch a motivational video in the morning, right? As long as you remember what you're doing and what you're doing it for, yeah. like that's, a, that's being purpose-driven as much as possible. And that's yeah. what I found 
ultimately gave me the most satisfaction in life and, and led me to continue because money, like I kept on saving money, but I wasn't getting happier. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't doing anything for me. Like, mm. you know, I was like driving cooler cars. I re- it wasn't making me happier. At all. I yeah. didn't care. Right. I didn't care. I was, I was having an argument with my manager at work. Right. And I'll be like, okay, I'm less motivated now to write more code. But what do I do now? Okay, I have to do it anyway. Otherwise I lose my car and my money. But it's like, how is that a life? Yeah. How long can I continue this for? Right. It's not exactly. It's, it's horrible. Sp- yeah. We spoke about this, having a purpose in life on the last podcast yeah. that you said, have yeah. a, like a golden purpose in life. Yeah. At least that's what you can strive for. Yeah. So if you yeah. don't have, and if you think about it, every successful person that you've spoken to or anyone who's doing well, if you really look deep between the cracks, yeah. they've got some purpose behind them, whether it's family, whether it's some reason for yeah. you know them pushing so hard. Exactly. Whatever it is, there's something driven besides just money. Yeah, like even true. if it looks like it's just money, really dig deep and you'll find some reason why they're working the way they're working yeah. or some trauma or something. They're just, um, they're covering something or doing something to re- re- like re- heal from it. Yeah. But like it's a, it's a huge driving factor besides, like you said, motivational videos. That stuff dies like straight away. That will like yeah, get hyped for a week, yeah. and yeah. then after that, you're like you get you get caught in some debugging situation. You're done. Like you ain't gonna sit there watching Andrew Tate videos and yeah. get even, excited. Like <laughs> yeah, even at this age, like of the reels and stuff, like you see five seconds you in the next video, man. Yeah. You just That's forget about reels. Like, like, I'm not motivated yet. Let me watch more motivational videos. Yeah, like, yeah. I, become motivated. Uh, I met Stephen Hawking right, and like when I was doing. My oh yeah, this is big. Yeah, I, did, oh, I, met, I met Stephen Hawking when I was doing my PhD, and I was like, this guy doesn't watch motivational videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 just sit down, like okay, I'm gonna write more my stuff about like evaporating black holes, right? Let me finish this Andrew Tate video first. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, the thing is, I don't actually have anything against Andrew Tate. I think he's actually a pretty he's doing pretty good things I think he just knows how to be controversial in the right way like yeah. he knows mm. how to push the media right like yeah. he knows what he's doing that's a Jay's like <laughs> big <he's> opinion <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, I personally think depends it can be a controversial topic Jay's like I, shut up I, <laughs> I, can, I can see the comment sections and, below it yeah <laughs> generic motivational b- b- person here right like there's been, yeah. there's been Andrew Tate's throughout history right like yeah. has been with the advent of YouTube but you can find, I mean, people like Stephen Hawking and you from like personally were driven by by purpose, right? Yeah. They weren't driven by like a sense of wanting to publish another paper, for example. They knew they got up, they, he fought against massive adversarial kind of like a strife in his life, like kind of given his condition and given what like pe- the doctors said that he could do and couldn't do, he did a lot of stuff that he wanted to do and he like changed the face of physics forever. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, they, people like him are just incredible. And like I, I look up to people like him. Yeah. And for me personally, I just think that, okay, what is what gave him the satisfaction of life? Like what made him successful it was because he wasn't thinking about success yeah right? sure. he didn't care yeah right he just wanted to he was enjoying his purpose in life right and he didn't even let him stop having a wife he had a fully happy life like yeah. it's incredible yeah he's a good cinema man like yeah. he, he, he was <laughs> honestly bro like randomly we're sitting down like ordering popcorn right you just see like Stephen walking past by like what's up steve like <laughs> he used to love the movies <laughs> that's really? awesome man yeah, yeah. It's really chill but Le- leon what was your favorite subject in school man because um, I feel a little more mad physics yeah. sort of guy. Yeah, physics, 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 physics. Physics. I love physics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was. It was honestly like it was like it was like magic taking place. It's like Harry Potter stuff. Like oh, the electron goes through two slits at the same time. How? Like it's just crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Like, the fraction patterns or whatever. Like I find it very interesting. I didn't like because I'm a very visual person as well. I really don't like the really theoretical stuff where mm. it's like just pages of, of of lines of maths, right? To get to a derivation, I despise that. It's, I find yeah. it really boring. Like I'm not gonna sit down. But I love doing that. My, no, no one likes that. I yeah, think you yeah. love doing calculus though. I, I have to, like, yeah, I, I really yeah. have to, I really have <laughs> yeah. to, right? Like, imagine we're sitting down, like, you have to design a brand new model to be able to detect whether or not this, like, drug will work against this cancer type. Like, mm. you have to, like, kind of think a little bit outside the box because everything, every single method has been tried already, otherwise cancer will be cured. Yeah. Right? You have to think as much as you possibly can outside the box. Like, you have to think about your risk to reward ratio. How much risk am I willing to take? How much am I willing to kind of, like, you know, I, 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 20% of my time will be spent, like, kind of exploring brand new things, like, yeah. in a day. Yeah. But 80% of it will be like, okay, I'm going to go back to the try and test this stuff because, like, 
it's just the same thing as investing as well, right? You don't put all of your kind of like all of your money into like NFTs and Dogecoin, right? You yeah. Have, you have some in like in gold as well. Like we're Asians at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you just buy gold bars. Yeah, we did just buy. Family tour as well. <laughs> <laughs> so what what does a day to day situation look like? From a machine learning perspective, I was like because, ask yeah, because because from a software developer, like in a in a web development app development sense, it's very it's kind of clear. But machine learning can be you know it can mm. vary, right? So what's your day to day look like? And what's like the end goal? Because I feel like yours is just like yeah, it's like creeping. Is it is it goal there. driven? Like because yeah. obviously if the the main goal is to 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 find a cure for for cancer, yeah. right? Yeah. But how do you determine like your day to day targets? Like because obviously curing cancer is the biggest is the is the end goal. End goal yeah. yeah. So how are you determining Determining like like markers for improvement, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not gonna give you like some kind of fake morning routine. Like you know, I wake up in the morning, I do like hundred crunches. And <laughs> <laughs> I usually wake up like around six a.m. because it kind of gives me like my my team wakes up three hours after me. Like they right. start working at like because uh, it's GST time, right? They wake up at GMT time. Yeah. So I wake up at six a.m. The first thing I start to do is like I just look at like as many research papers as I possibly can. Right. Like the more I read, the more my brain is able to kind of like explore the lateral kind of connections between different papers that I read over time. Okay. Like you know Ali Abdal sort of like um you know how to get the most out of anything you read. Like I do that as well. Like I'm not gonna yeah. lie. I love his I love his videos. Like I love yeah, my entire. Yeah, Good, he's man. so cool honestly like I, yeah. I honestly love his stuff i love his old stuff a lot yeah like his new stuff about like, how to be productive and like kind of i don't really gel with it that much i understand the market that's for but for me like the second brain stuff and making a summarization and like asking questions about everything you've done like i've got all of my papers that i've ever read like kind of like stacked into notion yeah and then like i'll just kind of go and read another paper and be like yo i've read a paper like this before or like this relates to something else i go to the other paper into yeah. notion where i've kind of like summarized everything it's like a second brain format and then i'll find a possible link between those two papers okay and then i'll find a way to either enhance my kind of like understanding of that first paper using this paper yeah or this paper might lead to a new idea or something that i might want to test for the day right mm. so for example like i might want to use like there, there, was, there was a model that i built i'm using something called a um using BERT. So basically this is like a language transformer. Okay. So you use it to basically create an embedding of natural language, right? So right. it's like chat GPT, like it's kind of like um, large language models. Yeah. Um, you take like a string or a sentence and then you basically transform that into something the machine can understand. Right. Like, you know, like Johnny went to the shop here, it doesn't mean anything to a machine. Yeah. yeah. But like if you encode it into a 768 embedding, which is like a vector, 768 long. Yeah. And then like, yeah, that's kind of like, it represents what this particular piece of information you gave it might look like an embedding space by comparing it to everything else in embedding space. Like, okay. like Johnny went to the shop and Johnny went to the supermarket, lived close to each other in embedding space. Okay. Right. So right. can we do the same thing for DNA? Or can we do the same thing for cells? Can we do the same thing for diseases? Is there an embedding that we can come up with for diseases or representations of diseases right. given biological data that we can collect that can make it much more easy to be able to compare them to one another? Can we do it for molecules? Right. So that's the kind of work I've been doing so far. And like it hasn't been done that much before, like creating embeddings around like a lot of these different biological uh, structures because usually biological structures are modeled kind of like using you know physical principles like um, energy minimization, like gives free energy, for example, for getting like, to, to, that's how we model whether or not a drug actually interacts with a particular um, protein. Mm. Right. Like we minimize the kind of free energy of the system and see like, okay, what does the binding energy look like? But you also can do a comparison by learning like if you represent the drugs as a string yeah. and the protein as a string and then you embed them in this way and then you can compare them in embedding space and you can find out very computationally efficiently, right? Just on the S3 or something, right. whether or not they are compatible, you save a lot of time from the onset, from the outset and you provide an invaluable tool to people who might not necessarily have the computational power that you have as well. So like yeah. people can do research all around the world right. um, without having to kind of like pay like for a lot of S3 or like, you know, yeah. expensive computers. So, so let's imagine you're working on that, yeah. right? So that exact problem that you just mentioned. So if you get stuck or you, you kind of, when I say stuck, I mean, you want to explore or you want to kind of ask a question 
it's not as simple as going to Stack Overflow and saying, hey, this is what I'm working no. on. Yeah. Stack. Because you also have confidential stuff, right? You yeah. have things which you can't essentially share. Because in, I know for a fact in the medical industry, if you're onto something, it's going to be worth a hell of a lot, right? So you can't be sharing that like on the internet, that. like left, right, and center. So what is your take? Do you have like mentors that you can ask or look up to, or, you know, have a little bit of debate about? How do you approach that situation? I ask God. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> you do. You wake up in the morning. It's a like, secret. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to Umrah tomorrow. I'm going to go pray tomorrow. And so yeah. to Charlotte yeah. tomorrow, I'm going to Mecca. Yeah. Like a lot of this, like especially like all my colleagues on this, like agree with this. A lot of this is luck. Hmm. Like, a mm. lot of this is luck based. A lot of the major discoveries that we have right now weren't based around people sitting down and doing calculations and coming up with like a, the perfect strategy to yeah. right. something. A lot of it, for example, like you know those bendable screens. Yeah. Right. You know those like kind of OLED screens, right? Like, oh, I had this was an accident. It was an accident, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There was, so the, the guy, like the professor was in my lab, at like Cavendish lab, right? Yeah. And it wasn't even him, right? And he was like upset he didn't get the Nobel Prize, right? It was his PhD student. She came in one day, right? And she put the semiconductor in the other, like the wrong way around by accident, right? Yeah. And it gave out light. So it was a polymer um, semiconductor. She plugged it in the wrong way. Oh, wow. And then it started giving wow. out light instead of conducting. He was like, oh my God, move out of the way, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard even a uh, penicillin drug was discovered by yeah, it was. mistake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the exactly. Wall, yeah. 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 He left some hovis outside and then basically <laughs> yeah. some yeast, right? And he was like, oh my God, what is this thing that's like kind of like this bacterium? That's So dude, it's like... Um, uh, a lot of this stuff is by accident, so you do need a lot of hope. But the way that 90% of it is hope, I have to control over 10% of it. So I have to be like really like kind of impeccable about strategy. In McKinsey, like we do a lot of stuff around project management, right? To minimize the probability of failure or kind of like really make sure that we manage the project properly. Right. And I managed to extrapolate the McKinsey process, right? And trying to kind of like amalgamate it as much as I possibly can with yeah. cancer research and everything that I do. So issue tree, like I don't know if you guys know what that is, but like kind of top down thinking. Okay. What am I doing today? What's the problem statement? Right. So you ask yourself, okay, how do I want to integrate together like this bi piece this piece of biological data with this particular model for machine learning right okay what are the impediments to this okay the model might be too big okay if the model's too big how do i get it to become smaller if i can't get it to become smaller can i host it somewhere if i can't host it somewhere are there other models you keep asking these questions it's sort of like the socratic method so you end up like with a set of hypotheses that you can address right if you've gotten to the end of that and like some of these hypotheses can't necessarily be addressed unless you go and speak to someone right then you think to yourself okay can i actually speak to someone without revealing the details of what i'm doing if i can't have to abandon this okay mm. right that's what I have to is do. Is this a team effort or is it just you? Right now, it's mostly me. Like, yeah. it's a very small startup, but like, we have some really cool drugs like, right. that we've discovered like, in the past five months and they're being tested right now. Like, it's nice. like, oh, they ordered wow. the drugs. It's so crazy, bro. Like, run from a couple of lines of code in Python, right? And like, there's a drug like, being injected into cell lines right now. It's wow. so cool. That's but crazy. Leon, how different is your job from a biotech thing? Or is it biotech? Like, what's the difference? I, I, the thing is, I don't like the jargonic terms like that much. I think biotech, and then they were like, there's biotech and there's tech bio, and like, there's, there's too much, there's, there's a lot of hype words yeah. being created by people. Yeah. That, you know, like, just these, these people that are like on LinkedIn, right, with like 100K followers. Like, guys <laughs> I want a DevOps web developer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, machine yeah. learning expert. Yeah. Bio, GPT, chat, Instagram, like, <laughs> yeah. crowd. Like, there's always like people that just like have, like, they studied, like, you know, something crazy. really non tech related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do all. you use uh, AI to help? I use ChatGPT a lot. Okay. A lot. I mean, the thing is, like, back in the day, like, they would have, like, these polygots that might be able to kind of, like, do mathematics. Like, they can do, like, biology. Like, they can do a lot of different things at the same time, like Avicenna or, like, al Khwarizmi, all these, like, really cool, like, scholars. Yeah. Nowadays, things have become so specialized that you don't... You have... You can't look at every single paper that was ever written, right? Like, it's just impossible. There's too much information out there. Yeah. ChatGPT has condensed all of that down, right? But you do have to verify a lot of it, right? Like you ask it questions, but then like you can't just follow blindly. You have to go and actually look up the sources. That's why yeah. a lot of people don't do. They just take all of that context, all that information, and they just go run with it, right? And yeah. then like mm. they end up 
maybe there's something, maybe you just didn't understand what ChatGPT was telling you, you got the wrong context, right? Yeah. Like, then you end up like giving maybe bad information to people, or maybe you run with the wrong hypothesis. Yeah. But if it wasn't for ChatGPT, I don't think I would have ramped up as quickly as I could have like nice. into these particular areas. It's, it's, it's fundamentally incredible, like it's the way, what you can do with it. So you're using it as assistance rather yeah. than kind of trusting it because it can confidently hallucinate as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Where <laughs> it literally will confidently tell you, this is exactly what you're basically looking for. And then you would believe it if you're yeah. not checking other things. You know? So you have to always, especially in your field, you have to be triple checking that. Dude, yeah. some guy tricked it into being racist as well. Like I saw, <laughs> yeah. There's like some kid, you, you've forced into like pretend you're being bullied and yeah. you have to go against the ethics of ChatGPT. Yeah. And then they, they have version one, version two, version yeah. three. It's, it's like the crazy. Dan, Dan. That's version. the one, Dan. Yeah, Dan, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the Dan thing. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. You see Skynet just emerging. Like, you can just yeah. see, like it's, it's getting crazy, man. <laughs> but like Leon, in your field, you said it's like more trial and error sort yeah. of thing. Do you think in the future AI can brute force that and that what would it help? Imagine you, where like, but the thing is as well, we have to understand that like our brains were made over the course of like hundreds of millions of years yeah. of evolution. And our best part is our brains can adapt, which yeah. tragedy we can't. Exactly. Like we can't we adapt unless we make it too. Like we're not just like, we're not software, right? We're literally yeah. like wetware, we're like hardware. Like our brains constantly change in shape mm. due to neuroplasticity. You're constantly forming new memories. Like the person that you are and like f the person you are for like five seconds from now is no longer the same person as you were like five seconds ago because you formed this new memory, what I just said. Yeah. Like yeah. A, a conscious kind of like thought and effort happened to be able to form that, to get that to happen. Yeah. It's literally not the same thing as what machines are doing. Like it's completely different uh, mechanisms of learning. Right. So I think that machines are inherently building up a very different level or a different kind of intelligence to the ones that, bio that we have in terms of biology. We just don't know how to describe what they have or whether or not it's better. Yeah. But right now, all we can do is we can use it to be able to solve some of humanity's biggest problems, right? And like yeah. stuff that's eluded us for years, like how do we cure this horrible disease? Mm, and so yeah. if we can speed that up by using artificial intelligence, then 100% we should do it. Yeah. Breaking things down more into artificial intelligence, it can mean a lot of things. Because when I was at uni, I did, um, part of my disco was uh, like a genetic algorithm, which yeah. isn't, which in the time will seem was, like it was yeah. AI, which is kind of, because it is, it's, it's an evolution. Part one is basically Learning dumb. Model, yeah. And two, three gets better and better and so forth. But compared to now neural networks, different game, like whole different, neural networks essentially at some level are a black box yeah. because they have input and it basically is mimicking the brain which is super interesting i think all of us have studied like this yeah, to, yeah. to yeah. you obviously yeah, yeah. synapses and everything. yeah it's, it's literally mimicking synapses yeah. but they don't actually fully know why the input relates to the output they just mm. know that this forms you know x it's pattern true. and so forth output so what's your take on the whole thing yeah have you heard the um, i think it's called the chinese room analogy no. no. So basically, no. like, there's a person who lives in a room, right? And they, all they have in that room is they have a, a, a dictionary, right? Yeah. And then someone comes and hands them, like, a piece of, like, kind of something written in English. Okay. They take it and they translate it, right, into Chinese. And then they hand it out the other side, like, to another post box, right? Like, they give it, to, they give it back to that person. Okay. Does that room, that, does that person in a new room know Chinese? Okay, so wait, so 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 somebody comes in. <laughs> I I got I got wait, a bit lost. Wait, wait, I have a question. Why Chinese? <laughs> no, no, but wait, no, because like, genu like, oh, yeah. genuinely interesting. So somebody comes in, gives you a slip, and that has yeah. Chinese on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? And then he translates it, or what? What's he? He doing? translates. So he takes like he's got a book, right? And he's using this like set of instructions. Where he's, got, okay. like, he's got like a, a kind of like a, a set of instructions, like not necessarily a dictionary, a set of instructions that tells him how to perfectly translate everything you just wrote. 
into Chinese. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Mm. Got right? you. Yeah, you don't yeah. necessarily know exactly what he's doing. Like, if, I, if I was to ask you, like, bro, translate this, right, into like, um, I don't know, into Punjabi or something, right? Yeah. Like, you'd be able to do it because you have an inherent understanding of the semantic contents. You, yeah. you, have, you have an understanding. You've heard <laughs> <this>. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the worst bit is I actually don't. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> but, <know. laughs> no, no. Don't call me out. Jay. I would do it. Yeah, not Jay him. could do it. Yeah, but that's so him. interesting because then you're kind of now questioning what is understanding of a topic, right? Like, because if they have a mapping of Chinese to let's say English yeah. Yeah, or Mandarin to English um, it, do you have an understanding at that point because you have access but then without that from a neuroscience perspective though is, is learning something understanding something is that purely a function of, of, of like learning an association it's not like if you have a particular word for example right that word you probably learn for example but if you learn the word I don't know like perspicacity everyone would have thought of Andrew Tate right really like yeah? my infallible and perspicacity whatever right so everyone has that word and that yeah. association with the word there's a reason they might have remembered that word particularly from him because they have a particular association or fondness of him so they have more reason to learn it they probably okay. hear it in his voice yeah so they have associations with that word they have images associated with the word noises right they have a time and place that they heard it it's not necessarily just a mapping between the perspicacity and the definition of perspicacity right. so it's the same thing does a machine really know what the context of this word is. Does it have a way of associating it, right, with this host of other information that we use to map and model the world around us? Of course not, right? right? It has a very simple way yeah. of, kind of, like, of, of associating it with something, which, which is the definition of it. It's seen it in the context of like its relationship with other words, like, because ChatGPT was like chained on like what Wikipedia and a bunch of other texts. Yeah. That's how it's been trained. And so that's how it knows the context, but it's never seen someone use that word, right? Mm, it doesn't yeah. know what it feels like to use that word. It's never heard. It doesn't know who Andrew Tate is. It doesn't know the association of Andrew Tate with the rest of the world. It doesn't understand the semantic, kind of like the... Um, Emotions and all yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. I think what you mentioned there, a lot of people might not know, is is how to train these things. So it's all trained off of data. Mm. And essentially, like, think of a self-driving car. In the beginning, they're not great because there wasn't so much data that we're capturing. Uh, and actually usable data that yeah. we can actually model into sort of some form of output, which is like drive the car, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And now over time, obviously self-driving is getting to a point where it's really damn good. Like you can drive through the city itself. Yeah, sure. So um, the idea of training data, just give a kind of breakdown of what, what that is and how a neural network can go from basically understanding nothing to using data to, to having some kind of output. Any machine learning system consists of three things. You have your data, you have your model, and you have your training procedure, right? Yep. So the, in terms of the data, the more data you have, the more information you have to be able to understand something. It's the same thing as like, if you're able to practice the piano using as many different variations of a particular song or as many different pieces of a song, not just the same song over and over again, right? Yeah. You're able to get a much more broader understanding of piano. Yeah. You're able to get a much more broader understanding of songs. So that's the reason why we try to give the machine learning algorithm not just like the same kind of information, yeah. but as many different kinds of the information or different pieces of information as possible to get a holistic kind of like understanding of, of, of what it means to learn piano. And then you need to have your model. Now the model part is interesting, right? Like you mentioned before, you have like a variety of different models, but neural networks are the ones that we seem to kind of like really stick with now. Yeah. And the reason for that is because like we're able to train them much more quickly. Yeah. We have like GPUs now, right? So you can do like kind of like massive multi-core yeah. training of these massive, it takes yeah. a lot of money, a lot of money to train a neural network. Yeah. It's very expensive to train it from scratch. Yeah. Like you can take, like you can fine tune pre-trained neural networks to do new tasks. Yeah. But to train a neural network from scratch is a very laborious process. And GPUs are the only reason that we're able to kind of like do it a lot more quickly now. Right. And then finally, you have your training procedure as well. 
So when you think about training a neural network, so like if you give someone a training task to do, if you ask them to train at a particular time of the day, like we yeah. ask them to train something, like to, to read something in the morning, they are much more likely to kind of like get a better understanding of what they're reading than if they were like reading it at like 4 a.m. for example, right? okay. after a long day or like going out. Yeah. It's the same thing with machine learning. Like how do you initialize the training procedure? Like where do you start the weights, for example, in the neural network? Yeah. So the way that you set up the training procedures, the same way as you set up someone to go and learn something brand new as well, the better you're able to set someone up, the better you train that neural network, the better you train that person. Right. So that's the kind of that's the three stages involved. Okay. Now you now I I remember this is literally me trying to pull three threads uh, threads of what we knew back at uni. But yeah. with that training procedure, a lot of the time there is a teacher signal, right, or something where something could go in the right way where it's a correct outcome exactly. and something going the wrong outcome. So uh, is that a human process where we're basically saying? This output was correct. Keep doing that. This output was wrong. Don't do that again. And then that essentially is forming some better model. It's a form of reinforcement learning, right? Yeah. It's basically like, you know, you're, you're being told that you're doing something wrong. And so therefore, like, you're, being t you're telling it, okay, look, just try and change what you're doing in the direction of doing something right. So you end up changing the algorithm. We end up changing the procedure that you're using to try and get it right a little bit more. Yeah. So you end up giving it a score. So it's called like the negative log loss in some cases, like okay. we're using kind of classification. In cases of like regression learning, like it's a different kind of learning, you also have the RMSE. Like there's a bunch of different ways that you can use it, like root and okay. square yeah. error. But like um, it's mostly... Um, uh, yeah, like it's reinforcement learning. Right. It's the same way as a human might learn. Yeah, I think that's when I found it like absolutely mind blowing. Because yeah. like a my, baby. Yeah, a professor the, literally said a baby. A like, baby walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really reinforcement learning. Exactly. Yeah. Like you see it every day now because uh, yeah. Jay's got a little one. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. He's crawling, crawling now. He's already walking. There's a massive. Yeah. There's a massive debate, by the way, between like people called frequentists and people called Bayesian machine learning. Okay. okay. Again, like this is what if you get into the mathematical side of machine learning, like you get deep into the trenches. Yeah. Like you learn about this kind of like difference. So right. Bayesian machine learning people. Right, like they learn about stuff like priors. Like you never necessarily talk about like you know a p value, for example. Or you okay. don't talk about like you know making a completely positive prediction. Like what's the most you ask like you need to predict whether or not this thing is like red or blue. Yeah, a Bayesianist will give you the distribution over like the probabilities, right? That these things are either red or blue. Right, and that's more intuitive. I think I I, I like the Bayesian side a lot more. Like we have a prior distribution over the probability that we might electrocute ourselves if we put our finger in a socket, right? right. It's like 50-50 when you're a baby. Yeah. And then you end up doing it, right? So you basically get some data and evidence, right? And you update your probability. So you're like, oh crap, I got electrocuted. I'm never gonna do that again, right? So yeah. the probability of that particular event happening, right, is not 100%. Then you update your probability distribution over again. But sometimes if I told you that that thing there now, like is no longer live. Yeah. And to be able to kind of like open the secret door to get out of here, you have to put your finger in it again, right? Right. You have to update that again. Like your prior belief is 100%. It might be 99%. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. it was 99.9%. Nothing's 100% certain in Bayesian probability. Yeah. I give you a piece of information, you update it 75% if you trust me. Yeah. If you trust me a lot, it might be 45% or 35%. It's so close to, I think, the Monty Hall problem. Do you know about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The doors. I the think you're talking about the door. I thought it's close So, what to is that. the Monty Hall problem? So, you, you go on. No, no, but you, I, think you I think you would explain better. Okay. No, it, I, um, it's just fuzzy, but it's like you have three doors and like they usually take a goat on the, as an example, right? And there's money on one of the doors. So the host would ask you like, okay, pick one door where you think the money would be. Now you pick some door and obviously only one door has the money behind and yeah. the other two have uh, the goats and yeah. you obviously you want the money, right? So you pick one and now your probability of picking the right one is obviously 33% because mm. the other two are goats, right? So you pick, you have more chance of picking the wrong one first. So you'll open the, the when you pick one door, the host will open the door and it'll be a goat most likely. And he'll tell you, okay, do you, uh, no, no, sorry. You, the host won't open the door. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> you yeah. pick the door and the host will be like, okay, do you, uh, this one has a go. Do you want to shift the door or do you want to keep your choice? Right. right. And based on mathematics and statistics, you should always switch because 
you picking the wrong one will always be a great, greater probability. So now you have a 50-50 chance of picking the right one. No, if that makes sense. You don't switch. That's, so the multiple problem, right? So like, yeah, you, you, if, if the door that opens, so like if the door opens has a goat behind it, then you don't want to switch. Okay. Yeah, well, I think I've heard of this. Yeah, because yeah. now the conditional probability is two thirds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you switch, then you've, yeah, you've yeah. changed your probabilities. So you have three doors, right? So one of them has no, a. No, you switch, Leon. Really? You have to switch. Someone yeah, because. Someone, oh, because someone drop in the comments. Someone, <laughs> yeah, drop in the comments. But Leon, the first time you have always a chance of picking, you're more probably of picking the wrong one the first time. Yeah. Right? So. So what's you, the probability of like the goat? So it's now, thirds, no, right? because at the start, when you're picking a door, right, you have three choices and you go more wrong. Mm. And the second time when you have a choice, you have 50 50. So you have more chances of picking the right one, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you're saying to switch the door. No, no, no. So, okay, three doors. Door number one has the money, and door number two and three are the wrong ones. Yeah. You pick door number two or three most likely the first time. Yeah. Because that's the probability, right? Right. And now the host will be like, do you want to keep the door or do you want to switch? Okay. So you have to switch because you, now you, you have a 50-50 chance. Okay. Rather than a 33 when you, know you say mean? switch, you mean literally... Like from door three, you switch to the other, either one door. Okay. To pick, a, to pick another door, basically, is yeah. what I mean by switch. Okay. So you had, you got to... Oh my God, he's just checking it on <laughs> the internet. But the point of this was... You do want to switch. You do want to switch. Yes, you're completely correct. Yes, bro. Yes, bro. Yes, he's completely thank correct. you. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Okay, so it's not fuzzy. Because yes. you switch because you have more probability of uh, picking the it's right fun. door the second time. Yeah. I thought you meant you should... Because naturally, you would want to obviously switch, no? Because you, if you've already gone through one door and there's not a, a goat, there's a goat behind it, now you want to pick either up one or three. No, but two. people, no, but people don't switch because they think no, my first choice is the right one, but they don't know that they have a less probability of picking the right one. There's oh. only a thirty-three percent chance of where you lose the door. It's the conditional okay. probability. So the question yeah. is like, what's the conditional exactly. probability, right? Like the other door contains the Ferrari, given that the door that I have right now has the goat. Exactly. And so when you actually like kind of like look at the set of probabilities, right? Because like you've eliminated one of the options, yeah. the conditional probability becomes two thirds that the, exactly. that the door has the Ferrari, right? Like yeah. if you switch. So that's that's how the problem kind of like emerges. Oh, I was thinking nice. about where you have two goats, like two Ferraris and one goat or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you only have one door with one. <laughs> you want the goat. Nice. There's lots of problems like even traveling salesman problem. Yeah, yeah this. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard yeah, that yeah, one. yeah this. No. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. So oh, yeah. if you've got 50, I'm surprised. I've heard of the word traveling salesman. Yeah. So I learned that in grade so 10. Yeah. It's kind of like an algorithmic problem where it's like yeah. how you've got a, a salesman and what is the shortest distance? So take the United States, for example, like however many, how many states? 52? Mm. I don't know. Is it 50? Is it 50? 50? Let's just talk about I mean, the uh, UAE. Right? How many Seven is Seven states 52, in UAE. 52, 52, 52, right? 52, 52, 52. I think it's 52, yeah. Because it's not 50. I'm sure no. there's like an extra two or something. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, anyway, we're not Americans. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you need to basically find the shortest distance to travel ev to every single city and you can't revisit a city. Yeah. 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 And how do you do that? And the shortest distance. Yeah, the shortest yeah. distance. Yeah. 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 Between cities as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a crazy like complex problem. Wow. And um, and then they tried to do loads of things. They did genetic algorithms against this kind of stuff. And I think the best that they've come to now is neural networks. But it's a good test of like effectiveness. Effic efficiency yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. It's so interesting though. Yeah, because a lot of people would, were coming up with all kinds of theorems. And it's a good way of just like you said, you know, it takes luck sometimes to bump into something. This was just a really good way to test your sort of your whatever you've come up with like yeah, yeah. against yeah. the problem. But yeah, it's super interesting. I remember we they came up in uni and we were like, um, where the hell do we even begin? Like a four, you start writing a four loop. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. You have some like <laughs> n to the power of n squared to the yeah. power of n. <laughs> so, James. so Leon, let's come, let's come to something like a, a bit of a, we, we tried to do like a bit of a fun round as well. Yeah. All right. So you're now in Dubai. Yeah. 
Um, what would you pick either? So you've moved, you've lived in the US, you lived in Dubai, you lived in London. Um, where would you live long term and why? Dubai forever. Okay, why? <laughs> why? Dude, it's just so safe here, man. Number one, it's so safe. Like, I find like, like in, in London, you constantly have like this anxiety where you feel like you're, um, like, Thanks, imagine you're constantly like having anxiety that you're gonna get like robbed through your packet of Monster Munch on the train or something, right? Like, it's yeah. just it, the the risk to reward ratio of like living there is just ridiculously like kind of high. Like you, whatever you make, you end up kind of like, you know, spending it on trying your best to just survive out there. Yeah. And it's so, especially if you have like a family that you're trying to support, like if you really want to kind of like help your mom or your brothers or your sisters, for example, like being able to fulfill that kind of role, especially as Asians, like it's like an obligatory, right? Yeah. It's not like I can go there if I have something wrong. Like I have to help my mom. That's it. Like it's just, it's, 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 it's part of the, it's part of being like, you know, the eldest male in an Asian household. Yeah. You have I to agree. Do it, right? Yeah. So like that luxury of being able to say like, no mom, like, you know, it doesn't exist. Like I have to help her. So yeah. Um, I give the money and then after all of that, like what do you have left over to be able to buy a house? Like it's very little. And then your lifestyle there sucks because that's, you can't go out at certain times of night. You go to certain places, you might get robbed. Whatever you've worked for, if you're wearing like a nice watch, you can get robbed for it. Yeah. Like how is that a nice return on like kind of like the, the amount of crazy amounts of work you're putting in? It's just not. So I love the, I love Dubai and kind of like the, the peace of mind it affords you. But yeah. also I love the fact that like, especially like, in terms of like the family that I have here, like I didn't get a chance to see them a lot. And so I get to spend a lot of time with them. Nice. I love the fact that like, you know, um, you meet really cool people here as well. Nice. So like I've managed yeah. to make a big circle of friends here yeah. because everyone's out here, like they're grinding, they're trying to like- High energy, it's really crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like everyone's like kind of like grinding in their own way. There are people that just don't want to meet. Like it's yeah, like, <laughs> just like anywhere in the world, like yeah. there's people that just don't want to associate yeah. with. Like there's people that are really, really good. And like you can kind of like really, eventually you kind of like learn this, probabilistic model, like machine learning model in your head, how to like classify the bad ones from the good ones. Yeah. Build up a good network. That's that's kind of like what, what I love about Dubai. But having grown up with like having a bit of trauma, a bit of things that have happened to you, which shaped you as a character. Yeah. Like I remember reading, I listened to a podcast and it was so interesting. I can't remember which one it was, but it was, um, uh, it was basically like Dubai is too good in the sense where you say you raise somebody from the beginning, like as in, as a child, it's so they've done such a good job of making it safe yeah. that as a man you, you're not exposed to the things which are going to shape you to become the person who works really hard faces, faces adversary and gets over it yeah. so what would you say about raising like a family in a place like dubai would you choose dubai then or would you pick somewhere else you have to be able to kind of like expose them to the elements of life that are you know i mean dubai is a it's a paradise right like it's not it's a utopia and like the rest of the world isn't and so yeah. like you know it's, it's very difficult for us to kind of like kind of go back to london for example right and kind of like go back to your brother yeah. you know yeah. It's like a hard exterior, right? When you've like, you, you're used to being here and being like kind of like basically surrounded by an air of, of, of safetyness. And so like what you have to do is just constantly challenge yourself here and constantly expose yourself to discomfort. Yeah, Discomfort is what shapes you. Right, it's not. It's not literally. You can't just like read a book and then think, okay, I've, I've changed now. Like you know, it's not like that. Right, you can't just decide like I'm a different person and just kind of like it just changes. You have to experience discomfort to grow. And the more this uncomfortable things you put yourself through, the more likely you are to kind of like change the underlying traits of your personality that make you into the person you want to be. Yeah. And so, for example, if you want to be somebody that's like less challenged by you know being or fearful of getting like robbed or something, right? Go and expose yourself to people that are likely to do that to you, like people that you think are scary, right? Mm. Like I'm. I, I saw Khabib for the first time in my, my, my life, right? I saw him face to face. Yeah. And after seeing this guy face to face, right? Like a lot of people don't scare me. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I, mm. I literally put the fear of humanity into me. I, like, I saw the most scary person in the world, like right before my, cause he was, and he was angry at me. So it was a very different story. Yeah. <laughs> like he was angry. Cause like we like kind of went up to his like floor of his hotel to kind of like, yeah. get, get an autograph. Like, yeah. It was like, what the hell are you guys Probably doing? Probably not the smartest thing to yeah. do with Khabib. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't bro. Like his cousins were there. Like they're all like, what the hell are you doing here? But yeah. like, it was my fault. Like I apologize like a billion times. Yeah. But like, yeah. So like I started to do a lot of wrestling 
thing, a lot of jujitsu. I put myself into like opportunities where I just get hit in the face, where I yeah. get smashed up, right? The more times you get hit, the less likely you are to, get, to be fearful of getting hit. You experience that like, discomfort. Yeah. And so therefore you become more comfortable with that particular element of being uncomfortable. And so therefore if you're, if you're likely to go somewhere where something like that is more prevalent, you are less likely to be completely taken off guard when something like that happens to you. Yeah. And so therefore, if you train yourself for those elements of life that are likely to kind of like to disrupt your tranquility, yeah. you're able to better safeguard your tranquility against it. So that, mm. yeah, in London, yeah. like again, like I know that I can defend myself. I'm never gonna go and like, if someone tries to rob my phone and they have a knife, take my phone, bro. But right? it is, at least it's good you're aware about it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, some people yeah. are not even aware about it. Like, yeah. They're like, oh, that happens. So but I think, the, I think the golden point from all of that is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable because yeah. we teach this a lot and we say the same thing and that's so true because even if you're in a great position like in Dubai, like you're safe and you've got everything mm. around, you have to be the one. A lot of people are like, yeah, but I haven't got this in my life. I got you got to put yourself in those situations 100%. where you're uncomfortable. Like, even when we first did the podcast, when we do all these different opportunities that you do, like you moving to Dubai, trying something new, taking a shift and moving into cancer research, yeah. all these things are making you uncomfortable because yeah. there's no straight path to where you want to get to. Risk. It's like, yeah. exactly. this is like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. And it, so it safeguards you against complacency. Yeah. And so like if you, the problem is that a lot of people, they refuse to sort of update themselves. A lot of people are kind of scared of chat GPT and these other technologies yeah. right? because they're yeah, so glued right. to their old ways. And like, you have to be uncomfortable. Like even regardless of how old you are, right? You have to accept the fact that this thing is here. You have to learn the nuances of it. You have to adapt yourself and grow. Yeah. And that's what makes humans survive, by the way, right? It's not like the fact that we were the strongest or the smartest. It's the fact that we were the most adaptable to change. Exactly. There's yeah. no species that lives in every single continent, right? From Siberia all the way to like the sub-Saharan like desert and thrives and that kind of like, it's only us exactly. because we're adaptable to change and so yeah. therefore the species that's most likely to survive or the purpose the person that's most likely to succeed is the one that's most adaptable to change 100%. and so but to change is to be uncomfortable and people don't want to do that so exactly yeah. Yeah. I think golden point man golden yeah. point to end it I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice yeah. dude I think we would definitely need to have you back on like, that to talk more because it's <laughs> it wasn't be, enough it we could talk enough. for hours about all of this kind of stuff especially that the door problem but if you guys enjoyed make sure you like and follow the reactive entrepreneur for more and let us know in the comments if you want to see leon back on the show it's going to be awesome we'll definitely bring him back on <laughs> and as always guys yeah we will see you in the next episode yeah much love guys thank, thank you, you guys thanks, thanks. 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 thanks.